Alrighty. So we're in Genesis chapter number 4 and looking at probably one of the most oft-asked questions concerning the Bible. You want to find someone who is not a Christian uh, but has a little bit of knowledge about the Bible and they decide that they want to corner you, this is the question they'll ask. They will say, where did Cain get his wife? And you're like, Pastor John, do we really need to look at where did Cain get his wife? Well, you just bear with me and you'll find out that there's a reason why we ask this question and there's an answer to this question. Uh, not only is there an answer uh, that tells us clearly where he got his wife, but you will see that it's, the answer is important. And understanding how to answer this uh, will go a long way in helping you. As the Bible says, be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you. So, so we ask the question, where did Cain get his wife? I will say that when I started preparing this, it was my thought that I would just hit this a little bit and then move on with the remainder of the lesson. But the more that I looked at it, it developed into an entire lesson on where, where did Cain get his wife. But when we, when we look at the thought of where did get Cain get his wife, and Anyone who is a student of the Word of God, uh, not just someone who is uh, aware of Christianity or someone who attends church occasionally, but someone who is a student of the Word of God, I believe the answer is clear and, and it's easy to find. Uh, but whenever... Uh, you you go outside of someone who is a student of the Word of God, uh, you will find that, like I said, this is one of the most often used questions by skeptics uh, who attempt to cast doubt on the Word of God. They will use this question as a means of proving that the Word of God is not reliable as a historical record. They will point to... Cain uh, having a wife as a flaw in the Word of God. And they'll say, look, right here, we get four chapters in, we find a major flaw in the Word of God, and therefore we can't depend on it. Uh, it, it has been said uh, that although she doesn't have a name in, in the world of skeptics, Cain's wife is the most well-known woman in the Bible. I mean, everybody in the world of skeptics knows about Cain's wife. And uh, the matter of Cain's wife has been used used over and over to prove the fallacy of Scripture. As a matter of fact, if you look back historically, you will find this question about where did Cain get his wife was used in a trial uh, where a creationist and evolutionist uh, were debating the teaching of evolution in schools, and the evolutionists used this question to prove his point, and sadly, the Christian he was debating was unable to answer him. He was unable to give him a clear answer as to where Cain got his wife. And so this is something that's been used often. It's been used in these evolution creation debates. It's been used in court hearings. And many times whenever you're asked this question, a lot of Christians will answer, uh, I don't know. Or a Christian will answer, I guess he married his sister and that'll be followed with an awkward laugh because they know they're getting ready to get bombarded with questions about intermarriage and, and why that was allowed. And so even if they feel that that is the correct answer, they're very hesitant to offer that answer because they can't answer the rest of the questions that follow that. And so uh, it is a question that should be looked at, should be addressed. It's a question we should have the answer to and be able to answer clearly. Uh, in the debate that I was talking about, uh, the Christian, the answer that he gave was that he didn't know where Cain's wife came from and he really didn't care. God said it and that was good enough for him. And I appreciate the fact that he accepts the word of God, 
But that type of answer doesn't get off the ground when you're talking to a skeptic who is trying to disprove the Word of God. And so we need to know, how do we answer this? How do we answer this? And when we look into the Word of God, not only do we find the answer to this question, but I believe we find that the answer to this question is important because it relates directly to the gospel message. One thing that you will find true about the Word of God, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, the purpose of this book is to point us to the gospel. And even in answering the question of where did Cain get his wife, you will find that the answer to this question points us to the gospel. And so I believe that uh, there's a lot to learn about this. In uh, Let's see here. Let's, let's read the text and then we'll, we'll go on. Let's just go ahead and read and then we'll go on. Genesis chapter number 4, and we're going to start reading uh, in verse number 13. You remember the Lord had passed a curse upon Cain because he had killed Abel and he had told Cain that he was going to be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And in verse number 13, And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you, dear Lord, that though, although sometimes the answers may seem obscure, uh, Lord, although sometimes we may have to dig a little, uh, Lord, I thank you that your word has the answers to our questions. And Father, I thank you that when we look into your word honestly and openly, uh, Lord, we find that your word not only answers our questions, but Father, your word will always point us to you, uh, Father, who has provided our redemption. And Father, we thank you for that. I pray, dear Lord, that you bless now as we look at this subject. I pray, dear Lord, that you will help us, Lord, to get an understanding so that, Lord, if ever a skeptic or an unbeliever were to ask us this question, that, Lord, not only uh, can we give an answer, but, Lord, we can give a thorough answer, a Father that will point them to Christ, I pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. And, Father, we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, before we dive into this, I just want to touch on uh, verse number 15 because I'm probably not going to teach on this thoroughly. Uh, but in verse number 15, the Bible says, And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And there has been uh, an abundance of speculation on what the mark was. And I just want to simply say that the Bible does not tell us what the mark was except that it was something that was identifiable and people understood that it was a mark given to him by God that protected him. It was something that they understood for a while. Uh, we find out uh, later on Lamech, five generations later, is referring to the protection that God had set on Cain. So it was something that the people knew, they seen, they understood. But what that mark was, the Bible does not say. And anyone who speculates or tells you that the mark was this or the mark was that, they're guessing. So all we know is that it was something that God did to Cain, whether, whether it was a mark. Uh, some, some folks say that it was, it was a sign uh, more than a mark. 
we, we don't know exactly what it was, but we know it was something that God did that everyone understood Cain was under the protected hand of God. And so it was something that brought protection to Cain, not something that brought affliction on Cain. It was something that brought protection because they understood it was a protecting hand of God. But anyway, just because I didn't want to dive into that in depth, we just touch on that. Then we'll come back to where did Cain get his wife. In verse number 17, we read the words, and Cain knew his wife. Now under normal circumstances, you're reading in the Bible, you come across a phrase like this, and it doesn't cause any alarm. Because, you know, this is just the way things happen. This is a normal transition. Uh, uh, but for a casual observer who's maybe reading the Bible for the first time, they started in Genesis 1, they're reading the Bible for the first time, and they come to verse number 17, they run into a huge problem. They run into a really big problem because the only people that the Bible has recorded up to this point is Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. And so this is the only people we've been introduced to as far as we know. This is the only people that are in existence. Uh, and now we see that Cain has moved away from his father and mother. He's married a wife. And in the next verse, he's bearing children. Now to someone who is just reading the Bible without understanding the scope of the Word of God and not understanding additional scriptures that we can look at that support this, we come into a huge obstacle. There's only four people on the earth. Where in the world did he find a wife? And now, whenever, whenever we see this, uh, what appears to be a huge gap in Scripture, people get really busy trying to fill that gap up. And boy, I'm telling you what, people come up with all kinds of ideas of what might need to be here. And so we see that uh, either one of two things is normally uh, taken. Either uh, there will be men who will offer solutions as to where he got his wife, and many times in doing so, they will damage the truth of the Word of God, as we'll see in a little bit uh, whenever we talk about how that this points us back to redemption. Uh, we'll see that their theories uh, damage the Word of God, but they'll offer theories of uh, where the wife may have came from, uh, or they will just discredit the Word of God altogether. Uh, there's a huge gap here. There's a big problem here. We can see right here that the Word of God is not true. But whenever we consider this question carefully in light of the entirety of Scripture, we find that the Bible offers the clear answer. The Bible gives us the clear answer. That'll be the first answer there on your worksheet. Uh, the clear answer. Many people have speculated that in order for Cain to have found a wife, then there had to be other families on the earth. In order for Cain to be able to get a wife, there had to be other families besides Adam and Eve's family. There had to be other parents with children. Uh, there had to be other descendants beside of Adam and Eve. There had to be other men and women in other parts of the earth who were also bearing children at this time in order for Cain to bear a wife. But whenever we look in the Word of God, we find that the Bible teaches us clearly that there is only one race. Only one race. The clear answer, first of all, is that the Bible teaches there is only one race. Every person alive on earth today is a descendant of Adam and Eve. Every person in existence, doesn't matter where they live, doesn't matter the color of their skin, doesn't matter their nationality, every person alive today is a descendant of Adam and Eve. There is one race and only one race. And now when we get to the Tower of Babel and we get to the flood, we may look a little more in depth at the development of these races and how in our day we seem to have multiple races and we'll show how that happened, how that came to be. But whenever you trace 
everyone's genealogy back. Everyone comes back to Adam. The Genesis account, as well as multiple other scriptures, confirm that Adam was the first man. Uh, we find in the creation account that God made man in his image. He said, let us make man in our image. And we find that he took the dust of the ground and formed a man, breathed into him the breath of life. Adam was the first man ever created. Uh, we also find that not only was he the first man, uh, but that all mankind descended from him. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, the Bible says, the first man Adam was made a living soul. But then when we look in Malachi 2 and verse number 10, the Bible says, have we not all one father? We go and look in Acts 17, 26, and the Bible says, and hath made of one blood all nations of men. So we clearly see that Adam was the first man and everyone that lived on earth beside Eve, except Eve, was a descendant of Adam. Every other person that lived was a descendant of Adam. And this is very important that we realize that all of the human race is a descendant of Adam. And we'll, we'll explain why that's important. But keep in mind, this is important that we understand that everybody descended from Adam. Adam was the father of the human race. There couldn't have been other uh, families. There couldn't have been other races in existence because then they wouldn't have been the descendant of Adam. And the Bible teaches us the importance of understanding that everyone descended from Adam. We find further confirmation that all of mankind is united in one race. When we look at Genesis 3 verse number 20 where we find that Eve was the mother of all living. Eve was the mother of all living. It says there in Genesis 3.20, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now I'll just interject right here a little side note. Whenever people try to talk to you about aliens or in other intelligence in outer space, just remind them that if they're out there, they're Eve's children and they flew out there somehow because she is the mother of all living. There is no other creatures. All living, all uh, the living creatures who are eligible uh, for redemption are the children of Eve. And so she is the mother of all living. All people other than Adam are descendants of Eve. She was the first woman. Eve was a unique creation. Eve was made from the rib of Adam in answer to a need. Adam needed a companion. Adam named all of the animals. The Bible says there was not any, not any found among all the creatures on the earth. There wasn't any found that was suitable to be a companion for Adam. Now, if there had been other races in existence, Adam could have found a, a compatible companion. Although it may have been a different race, they would have been a compatible companion. Adam could not find a compatible companion on the earth. He named all the creatures. And so God met Adam's need by taking a rib from Adam and creating a woman. And so we see that there was, we see this makes it obvious that there's only one woman on earth. In the beginning, there was Adam and there was Eve. They are the only ones. There couldn't have been another race uh, from which Cain or Adam, for that matter, could have selected a wife. In addition to the Bible clearly teaching that we're all related through Adam and Eve in a single race, we also find in the Scripture that Adam and Eve had multiple descendants. Now the Bible tells us about uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth. These are the only three descendants that the Bible tells us about by name. It's these three children. Uh, but 
We find in Genesis 5, 4 uh, that the Bible says in the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years and he begat sons and daughters. So we know that there were more children born. Whenever you look into the Word of God, we need to remember, this is very important in understanding the Word of God. When we look into the Word of God, we need to remember that everything that is recorded in here points to the Savior. Everything in here is somehow significant in the story of redemption. It would be impossible, especially in a single volume, to record all the details of every person that ever lived. That's impossible to do. Therefore, in this Bible, the Lord only recorded the events and the details of the lives that were significant in relation to the redemption because that's what this book is about. This book is about God bringing a Savior for mankind. So when we look at the story of Adam and Eve and their children and we see that the Lord records Cain and Abel and Seth but he doesn't record the details of any of their other children. It doesn't mean that he didn't have other children. It means that the other children were not significant in the story of redemption. However, Cain, who killed Abel, and because of Cain killing Abel, Cain uh, was driven out from the Lord, and Cain began to develop an ungodly line of descendants. And we'll look more at that later on. Uh, but the line of Cain became ungodly. They went away from God. And then we see that Seth was born to Adam and Eve, and this happened after the death of Abel. And Eve said, Seth is my replacement for Abel. We knew that Abel had a heart for God. We know that Seth had a heart for God. And then we see throughout the remainder of several chapters of Genesis the ungodly line of Cain and the godly line of Seth. And this is very important in explaining the redemption story. The other children of Adam and Eve, although they were important in populating the earth, although they were important in many aspects, they didn't directly relate to the story of redemption. So remember, when you look at history in the Word of God, the history that you find here points you to the Savior. And so although there is much history that is not recorded, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. So we see uh, that there were multiple descendants. As we said just a moment ago in Genesis 5 and verse number 4, we see that Adam and Eve had sons and daughters. They had uh, plenty of sons and daughters. Now the Bible doesn't tell us how many children Adam had. Uh, we do know that he had multiple children in addition to uh, Cain, Abel, and Seth. Um, the historian Josephus uh, who was a, a, a Jewish writer uh, just a few centuries after Christ's death, uh, he records a Jewish tradition, and that's all it is is a Jewish tradition. I, I can't put any stock in it, uh, but it's worthwhile noting. He records a Jewish tradition that says that Adam had 33 sons and 23 daughters. Now, we don't know if that's true. This is what the Jewish historian Josephus said, was that he had uh, 33 sons and 23 daughters. Uh, the verse also tells us that Adam lived 800 years after the birth of Seth, which when we consider that Adam was 930 years old when he died, which is what the Bible tells us, he was 930 when he died, if he lived 800 years after he had Seth, uh, then that means that he was 130 years old when Seth was born. So he was 130 years old when Seth was born. It's very probable that Adam bore sons and daughters between 
Abel and Seth. Uh, 130 years has went by here. It's very probable that sons and daughters were born between Abel and Seth. At, when Abel died, the Lord gave to Adam and Eve another son, and Eve said, this is a son given to me to replace Abel who I've lost. This doesn't take away from the fact that there could have been a lot of children born over that period of 130 years between Abel and Seth. Uh, whenever we think about that, another thing to consider is the difference in lifespan. The difference in lifespan. And really, honestly, maybe you can do this. I just can't comprehend living 900 years. I just, I mean, maybe you can get a handle on that, but I just, I can't figure out 900 years, how that would work, how that would, how that would affect me, but it was definitely something that was different. Pre-flood, people lived much longer lives, and Eight to nine hundred years was the normal lifespan. And so whenever you consider uh, that lifespan, you begin to realize that there's a lot of transition that many times we don't think about because we think about the story in terms of our own lifespan. But whenever we think of the lifespan that exists here, um, I believe that it's very clear to see that at the time of Abel's death, Cain and Abel weren't teenagers who were just figuring out how to do life. These were grown men who had been grown men for some time. The Bible uses the phrase, in the process of time. So this means that a good deal of time had went by. We find that, a, uh, that Cain was a tiller of the ground. Uh, he was someone that knew how to till the ground. He was someone that knew how to plant crops. He was someone who knew how to raise crops. When we look at that, description of a tiller of the ground and also of Abel as being a shepherd, it brings with us the idea that they were doing it for market purposes. They weren't just growing food for themselves, but Abel raised sheep to sell. Cain raised vegetables to sell. Uh, so these men were grown. They were established. Uh, they had been living for some time whenever Cain brought his sacrifice and the Lord didn't accept his sacrifice, and therefore Cain slew Abel. So understanding the time span really helps us to see um, this. Uh, it's very probable that when Cain slew Abel, and as a matter of fact, there's a verse I'll show you in just a second. It's very probable that when Cain slew Abel, Adam had had sons and daughters who had intermarried and who had bore children when Cain slew Abel. Matter of fact, I believe that it's, it's um, definite that this is what has taken place and we'll look at it in just a minute. Uh, but I believe that there was a, a much larger population for, a, for Cain to choose his wife from. Now, the, the general answer that we give whenever somebody asks where does Cain get his wife is we'll go to Genesis 5-4, say that Cain married one of his sisters. It's very probable that he married a sister. It's also very probable that he could have married a, a little more distant relative if Adam had sons and daughters that had married and bore children because we're looking over the course of 130 years here. So a lot could have taken place. And whenever you live 900 years, a 100-year age difference isn't a big deal, you know. I'm 650, my wife, she's 560. I mean, you're really not going to think a lot of that, you know. We're still both way up there. But uh, so 100-year age difference. So 
that's why I say we don't understand and can't comprehend the differences that was there because of the longer life. But there was some things that were incredibly different because of the longer lifespan. And it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been unreasonable. Uh, from what we find as we read through Genesis, it seems that, you know, men... Uh, 100, 200, even 500 years old were men who were still in great health. They were still strong. They were still able to work. I mean, it's not like they were old men by any imagination. So if you say that, you know, Cain chose a wife when he was 300, and we don't know, but if he was 300 when he took a wife, there was a lot of people for him to choose from. There was a lot of choices there uh, where he could have gotten a wife that was a descendant of Adam. Whenever we're talking about Adam's multiple descendants, I believe we should also consider the population growth. <clears throat> if we start with two people, Adam and Eve, and you double the population every 100 years, and let me just interject that this is very generous or very restricted, however you want to look at it, because in today's society with all the disease, death, all the things that we battle in today's society, the population doubles about every 40 years. We're talking about in a day when there wasn't near as much disease and death and hardship and people lived extremely longer, had a lot more children. So to say doubling every 100 years is very generous uh, because it probably doubled much quicker than that. But if it doubled every 100 years, uh, in 2,500 years, starting with just Adam and Eve, in 2,500 years, the earth population would have been around 30 million. So the population exploded. Uh, matter of fact, there are some who argue uh, whenever we say that the earth is only 6,000 years old, they're like, well, how in the world could have we started with two people and have 6 billion people on the earth today uh, if, the church, if the world's only 6,000 years old? When they ask that question, they really show their ignorance because if they would just sit down with a calculator for about five minutes, their question would be, why is there only 6 billion people on the earth? Not, uh, how did there get to be that many? So we understand the population growth, the population exploded. Uh, if the Jewish tradition is accurate concerning the number of children Adam had, it wouldn't have taken long for there to have been plenty of ladies for Cain to choose from. And as I said a little bit ago, we know that there was a substantial population on the earth uh, who were related or at least had an interest in Abel at the time of his death from Cain's fear. We see that in Genesis 4, verses 14 and 15. Cain says to the Lord, Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid, and I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. We see here that Cain, when he killed Abel and the Lord sent him out, Cain was concerned. He said, Lord, everybody I run into is going to want to kill me. If the only people that existed at this time was Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, then the Lord just needed to tell Adam and Eve to leave their son alone. But Cain was worried. He said, everyone that runs into me, everyone that I meet is going to want to kill me. Two reasons, that, two things we see here. One, there was a lot of people. And two, they all were closely related or had a close interest in Abel. And they wasn't real happy that Cain had killed their uncle or their granddad or however Abel was related to them. And so 
we see here that that is the case as well. And you say, wait, wait, you say Abel was her granddad. Very possible that Abel could have been married and had children when Cain took his life. It didn't relate directly to the redemption story, so we don't have that history, but it's very probable that that could have been the case. <coughs> All righty, so moving on here. I was, didn't think I had too much, and now I'm just like, I ain't never going to get this done. I hope you all enjoy this as much as I do, because, man, I just I enjoy this. But uh, whenever, we, whenever we simply state, though, that Cain married his sister, where did Cain get his wife? He married his sister. There's some objections that will come up. But as I said when I started, you, you answer that, but you answer it with a little awkward laugh because you know the objections you're going to hear. And so real quickly, let's look at some of the critics' objections. The first argument is that for Cain to marry his sister goes against the law of God. We know that in the book of Leviticus, the law of God uh, has very specific laws regarding intermarriage within families and God forbids it, says it's not to happen and therefore for Cain to marry his sister uh, violates the law of God. So Cain couldn't have married his sister because that goes directly against what God had said. And this is correct in our modern day. In our modern day, you do not intermarry in families. You uh, do that and the reason that God, uh, and the the same reason that we don't do it today is the same reason that God established the law in Leviticus. But it's important to realize that God established that law 2,500 years after creation. And there was a reason for that, and we'll get to that in uh, just a minute. In our modern day, uh, God established laws against intermarrying uh, 2,500 years after creation. It's still in effect today. There's uh, laws, uh, legal laws, uh, local laws that prohibit this. And the reason is, is because of whenever you intermarry, uh, you can have corrupt genes. And so most likely, all of us have some gene pool that is corrupt, that has problems. And if you marry someone with that same corrupt gene pool, then those genes will unite and you have, you have problems. That's your, your, ne your next point there. You have um, biological complications. You have bi biological complications because of it. And many times you'll have deformities. You'll have many problems that result because if two people come from the same set of parents, very likely both of those people receive the same corrupt genes. If they were to bear children, those two corrupt genes could unite, cause all kinds of problems. Therefore, we don't do that. And so whenever you, whenever you marry outside of your family, uh, although both parties may have corrupt genes, those corrupt genes won't intersect and the good genes will many times overpower uh, the bad genes. Might be that one ear is a little lower than the other one, you know, because that bad gene pulled a little bit, but your ears won't be upside down. I mean, you know, it's what happens here. And so it kind of balances it out. But in the beginning, when God created uh, man and woman, he created them perfect. There hadn't been any intermarriage. There hadn't been any uh, curse of sin. There hadn't been anything like that. And so their gene pools were perfect. Therefore, their children could intermarry and there was no corrupt genes that could cause problems. After 2,500 years, the gene pool had deteriorated and it was necessary for God to establish a law that would protect the human race. Now, we have a slide here that depicts this process. And so maybe you can see that there. Uh, so you see how the mutations get worse. 2,500 years in, the Lord makes the law to protect people from the mutations. But until that point, 
it wasn't so. We know that Abraham married his half-sister. The Bible tells us very clearly that Abraham had married his half-sister. It wasn't sinful because it wasn't against the law of God at that time. And remember, whenever God makes a law, He makes His laws for our benefit. And so when it came a point that man was going to begin deteriorating, God made a law and established a law that would protect mankind from destructing himself. And so at the time of Cain, this would have not been a problem. A couple of more objections are uh, the land of Nod. When we look at the account in Genesis 4, uh, skeptics will say that it states that Cain went to Nod to find his wife. <coughs> uh, they, will, they will say that... Um, there were other races because the Bible says uh, that Cain went to Nod. Let's see here what verse is that. Verse 16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And so they will say that this means that Cain left. He was sent out. He got to Nod. He met a wife. He married her. He bore children. But if you look at the passage, the passage doesn't say anything about Cain meeting his wife in Nod. Instead, it says that they conceived a child in Nod. It's very likely, matter of fact, it possibly seems to me like the only uh, sensible thing, it's very likely that Cain was married before he killed Abel. And when he got sent out, he took his wife with him. And he went to the land of Nod, and there in Nod uh, they conceived a child. Also, the word Nod, the name of the place, means wandering, which indicates that Cain was moving away from civilization. He was moving away from people. He was moving to a solitary location rather than going to join another people group. Another objection is the fear of Cain that we talked about a few minutes ago. Uh, they say that um, the verses 14 and 15 state that Cain was afraid for his life after killing Abel. Skeptics try to use this to prove that there were other races in existence and that's who Cain was afraid of. But whenever we think about the fact that these people were looking to kill Cain, it makes more sense <clears throat> that these people were descendants and related to Abel because they were wanting to avenge the blood of Abel. If he were encountering people who were not related to Abel, knew nothing about Abel, they wouldn't have been seeking his life. And so it just makes more sense that his fear was driven because of that. And then you say, okay, so why, why is this important? Why do, we, why do we talk about this? So we'll try to wrap this up right quick for you. Why, why is it? So I want us to take a look at the crucial importance. Many skeptics have claimed that for Cain to find a wife, as we've said several times, there had to be other races. This is the only way it could have worked. These other races would have not been the descendants of Adam and Eve. Whenever we look at that, although to a skeptic it may make sense, it destroys the whole message of this book. The whole message of this book is that God created man in His image. He created man for the purpose of having a relationship with Him. Man violated God's law. Because man violated God's law, a curse came upon man. The curse, the, the death came upon all men. The curse of sin came upon all men. Through the sin of their father Adam. But God sent a Savior to redeem the descendants of Adam. If there are other races who were 
in existence at the same time as Adam and Eve, those races are not eligible for redemption because redemption is through Christ for the descendants of Adam who received the curse of sin because of the sin of their father. Why is it important that we know where Cain got his wife? Because if we allow people to think that there were other races in existence, it damages the truth of the Word of God that says that in the first Adam we all died, but in the last Adam we are all made alive. The Word of God teaches the whole, the whole theme of this book is that God sent a Savior to redeem the descendants of Adam. And every person that exists, doesn't matter where they are, doesn't matter what people group they belong to, they are eligible for the salvation that God provided because we all descended from Adam. So where did Cain get his wife? From Adam. That's where he got his wife. He got his wife from the same place he originated from. Cain got his wife, and we've all the, the population grew. It expanded, but we are all eligible for redemption. Your blanks there. Uh, we see the sin of man. Romans 5:12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world, the sin of man. This sin affected the entire human race. Through, uh, there your next blank, the curse of sin. 1 Corinthians 15:22, for as in Adam all die. But then we see that redemption is found for mankind. The descendants of Adam can be redeemed through the Savior of the world. There in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 and 22, the Bible says, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Romans 5, 18, I put it there on the bottom of your worksheet. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. As I said when I started, when you interpret the Word of God, remember, it's not just another history book, but it is the story of redemption. And everything in it will point us back to the Savior over and over and over again. Even a question as simple as where did Cain get his wife? You say, well, Pastor John, what, what exactly do I do with this information? Well, the next time somebody asks you where did Cain get his wife, you just start at the beginning and you take them to the cross Amen. and you tell them about the Savior. The mark on Cain? So we don't know what the mark is other than that it was something that God placed on Cain that was identifiable by the people of that area. We know that five generations later, Lamech was aware of it and spoke of it. Um, it. It was something that was only on Cain that protected Cain. It wasn't something that affected an entire race. Cain was the only one that was protected by God, so it was only on him, a mark by God, that... People could identify. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was.